0: This is Terms of Reference. I'm your host, Stephen Laddick. Sue Miller is the Director of Programming and Training for Peace Corps Georgia. She has a decade of experience in Latin America, Africa, Russia, Georgia, and East Timor, focused on community and international development programming. She received her Master of Public Affairs degree from Princeton University and a Bachelor's degree in Cultural Studies from Huntington College. I spoke with Sue in Tbilisi, Georgia. Sue Miller, we're talking to you in Tbilisi, Georgia. Thank you very much for being on Terms of Reference podcast this evening. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. Thank you. So let's start out by, uh, tell us, what is it that you do there for the Peace Corps? Tell us about your job, the organization, and what's your areas of specialty? Sure. Uh,
1: So I am the Director of Programming and Training for Peace Corps Georgia. What that means is, (laughs) uh, as the title suggests, I oversee all of the programming functions and training for our volunteer force here in Georgia. And what that means is I help determine the strategic direction of what our volunteers are doing here, who they partner with, whether it be at the government level or at the community level, uh, what kind of work and activities they do, responsible for kind of monitoring and overseeing all of their work, providing counseling and direction to them as they go along, and also training and preparing them to do that work.
0: So what uh, you're saying is you have a very small job.
1: <laughs> yeah, No, that's, that, there are about 12,000 more things I could add to that list, but those are the big topics.
0: So what is programming? Tell us, what, what does that mean uh, in, in terms of Peace Corps?
1: Sure. Absolutely. I think, um, you know, I have a development background, so I've mostly worked with uh, international development NGOs before this. So it was a different concept for me coming into Peace Corps because most people, when they think of programming, they speak, think of a specific program with a start and a finish date and certain deliverables. And the way we look at that is a little bit different. Our projects or our programs are actually the, the volunteers and the work that they do. So all of the things that we accomplish are through our Peace Corps volunteers around the world and. Our projects will be in a specific sector. So Peace Corps works in six sectors around the world. And in Peace Corps Georgia, we have three different projects that we're we're doing in-country and that we have volunteers working on
0: and what are those projects specifically
1: we have an English education project which is focused not just on our volunteers teaching English but teaching uh, young people both English and other life skills mm-hmm. so other skills that will help them be successful in the future it also is a co-teaching program so they're working alongside Georgian English teachers and teaching them improvements in the classroom and new teaching methodologies uh, and other professional skills that will help them in their careers as they go forward and it also focuses on resource development as well so it could could be the development of uh, an English language learning resource or a library or, or something like that, uh, lesson plans, things like that, that will stay here and can help you know Georgian teachers and schools in the future to continue their English program. So our first is English education. Our second project is an interesting one. It's called Individual and Organizational Development, and we it's sort of a community development-type project focused on civil society building. So it has two main objectives. Uh, one is focused on organizational development, So really building the capacity of civil society organizations in Georgia, helping them with everything from planning, strategic planning, to uh, budgeting, financial management, and staff management, to sort of how do they advocate for their cause, how do they get recognition. Uh, and how do they network with other organizations. So that's the first part of the program. The other part of the program is really focused on individual development, so individual skills development around mostly things, mostly areas that are focused on youth and needs for the youth in Georgia, which are employability, so helping them to get into the job market and understand how to be successful in obtaining employment, uh, and also financial management, so financial literacy, really, teaching them how to be good stewards of resources, how to manage their own finances at the household. And the third program is uh, one that is around the world called Peace Corps Response, Uh, and basically what it is is a project that allows volunteers who have served in other countries, who have finished their service, to go to different countries on short-term technical assignments. So the way we look at the Peace Corps Response project is uh, we're allowed to bring people in for short very technical, specialized projects that contribute to either our English education strategy or our individual and organizational development strategy. So we'll bring people in for a little bit higher level stuff. So they might actually, instead of working with an NGO, they might work at a ministry uh, or they might work at a university or something like that.
0: That's fantastic. How does this differ from what Peace Corps Georgia was doing earlier in its life? For instance, when, when does Peace Corps Georgia start?
1: Peace Corps Georgia. I think the first team came into country in 2000, and the first volunteers arrived in 2001.
0: So how would, how would the, that program have evolved over the last 10 years or 12 years?
1: I think it's important to note yeah. Peace Corps always comes to a new country at the invitation of the government. So uh, the government of Georgia invited Peace Corps in in 2001 to teach English, mainly mm. in schools throughout Georgia. So it really strictly was a TEFL programmer. Teaching English as a Foreign Language Program, initially. A couple of years later, they started a business program. So that program has since evolved based on the needs of the country. I think the initial thinking was it would be more focused on business and private sector development. And over time, I think you know the program realized and evolved to, to recognize that civil society development in Georgia is actually more of a need. And so it went through various titles from business the business program to social entrepreneurship. To now, what we have is the individual and organizational development program. So it has evolved over
0: time. Do you have a sense of what was the what was the moment in Georgia? Mm-hmm. I, I assume I'm not sure what ministry you worked through or, or that type mm-hmm. thing. What was the moment that they said, "Okay, in 2000, we're ready for Peace Corps. This is this is a, a good thing for us."
1: That's a great question. I do not know who really sparked that invitation, but around that time, Georgia would have been coming out of. It's very initial post-Soviet days. You know, the 90s were, from my understanding, a very difficult time in Georgia. You know, the fall of the Soviet Union affected it very strongly. A lot of jobs were lost. You know, people really did not have the food and the basic services that they needed. So the 90s were quite a time of transition. Democracy came, I believe, in the early 2000s. And so probably with the new government, that's when they... Someone must have known about Peace Corps, or perhaps Peace Corps as an organization sent a team here i'm not really sure the mechanism but somehow that connection would have had to have been made and the government would have said we see a need here Mm -hmm. um it is one of the government's priorities to teach english language in all schools throughout georgia so that certainly i'm sure for them was a very attractive offer to have american teachers come in and help them with that goal
0: let me try to take that even to a little more granular level Mm -hmm. let's just say i'm the minister of education in georgia who do i call in peace corps (laughs) <laughs> you know how, how would that? How does that process happen? Do you have any idea? Like, how do these sort of bilateral agreements get? You know, what's the genesis of them?
1: You know, I've been with Peace Corps for a year and a half, so I haven't really been involved in a new country startup per se or an assessment team. But I, but I understand sometimes that relationship can be sparked through the local embassy if the U.S. embassy is in country. If not, it can it can they can go straight to Peace Corps in Washington. Mm-hmm. And typically, what will happen is. Peace Corps, I mean, at the director level, will receive an invitation, um, and Peace Corps actually then goes out and does a very thorough field assessment because obviously for us as an agency the the main priority is volunteer safety. But also we want to know that the country is ready and willing and able to support our volunteers and and have productive work for them to do. So I don't know all the details of what's looked at, but they pretty much do a comprehensive assessment of what the Peace Corps program needs would be, I mean, what what's needed in the country, what's wanted, uh, and what's really feasible for our volunteers to be able to accomplish.
0: You gave us a, a really detailed overview of the type of programming that you oversee, and then you, you also said, you know, you work with partners and you work on strategy. What's a typical day look like for you? Is it meeting with government counterparts? Is it working with volunteers? Is it answering lots of email, what, what's a typical day look like?
1: It's all of the above, uh, and, uh, and then some. So I actually personally manage a team of eight people. So a large amount of what I do is managing those those people, uh, those specialists. My program managers who are overseeing the programs, they're in the most direct contact with our volunteers, so they're the ones providing day-to-day support and guidance and technical resources and anything that they need to be successful. So they have that real direct interaction with them. So I am overseeing that team. I'm overseeing the training team who are designing sort of year-round trainings for our volunteers. I'm overseeing our homestay program. So for us, you know, Peace Corps is not just a development organization, but it's also got a cross-cultural element. So for us, the fact that our volunteers live with Georgian host families is a very important thing, and so we support the volunteers in those relationships, help them to have a good, stable home environment as well as work environment. And so I sort of am overseeing those people day to day, and I think that's the majority of what I spend my time doing. But as you mentioned, I mean, I could just as easily, tomorrow I'll be at a meeting with the Ministry of Education and Science, for example. I could be at a meeting with a potential NGO partner. I try to get out and do site visits as much as possible to actually see The reality of where our volunteers are living and working, and yes, tons and tons of email. (laughs) As you mentioned, there's a lot of paperwork, a lot of email. But as much as possible, I try to get out to the field because that's just the best, the best part of the job. Well, and I also spend a lot of time at our training events. I think I mentioned, you know, we have a number of different events around the calendar year, and I'm typically there for all of the volunteer training. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. I'm I'm getting a sense, as with many people in this in this business, Mm -hmm. that. You know, if you had your druthers, you'd like to be hands-on doing the work. <laughs> is is stepping into this new management role? Uh, do you find that there's a, a disconnect? Is it frustrating for you in some ways, or uh, is it? Do, are you, you know, sort of embracing and?
1: I mean, truthfully, no, because I think, I think I do have a good balance. I think I do get out to the field to see where volunteers are working. And I think I do get to have a relationship with the volunteers, which, because of our size, we have about 70 volunteers right now at any one time. I know all of our volunteers, and I that, for me, is very rewarding that I get to know them at that level. But to be honest, I don't mind that the majority of my time is spent managing people because the people I'm managing are a very strong, very professional, local staff staff. And I like to think that that's my piece of the sustainability here. I mean, the fact that I get to work with them and they really do take a lead role in a lot of the work and I'm really supporting them and facilitating them to do that. I really enjoy that, that part of my job.
0: Does Peace Corps provide you with specific tools or technology or techniques to manage your strategy, to manage your project implementation?
1: Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> the Peace Corps is- is been going through a large uh, how can i put this a large process over the past few years called focus in train up and this has been a huge effort around you know peace corps globally to look at what it is that volunteers are doing worldwide what they found was that they were working in tons and tons and tons of different types of projects and that perhaps peace corps as an agency wasn't able to really adequately prepare people to do all of that, all of those things, that vast range of types of projects. So what they did was they said, okay, we're going to really define what are the six core things that Peace Corps volunteers do well and that we can train people adequately to do. So, you know, Peace Corps' really been working hard the last couple of years to develop Uh, what it is we do, what it is our volunteers do well, and how do we train them on it. So they've provided, since I got here to Peace Corps Georgia about a year and a half ago, we've gone through that process of looking at our prior projects redefining what they are, what specific activities our volunteers can be most effective at. Um, And so we now have new five-year strategies for all of our projects, and we have resources as well to then train on what are the specific skills a volunteer needs to be successful in doing these projects. So we have a lot of resources that come from Peace Corps centrally, but we also have a lot that we develop ourselves here locally that basically provides everything from you know uh, medical, how do they take care of their health, to safety and security, to make sure they're taken care of in country, to language. You know, Peace Corps is really known for the fact that our volunteers learn the local language and operate in the local language, cross-cultural skills, and other technical skills. So a lot of what we, what we have coming from Peace Corps headquarters is really great, and then we contextualize it here to make it really relevant to the Georgian context. So not just what does it take to be a good English teacher, but what does it take to be a good English teacher in the Georgian education system, which is completely unique.
0: So you've just described what I believe is technical information that comes from Peace Corps headquarters, or you know, is part of the global organization about how you, you know, the volunteers, and you, hopefully, can do your job better, or, or can be specifically trained to fulfill those six requirements, right? Mm-hmm. Does that come, How does that come to you? Is it come to you in the you know? Is it a three-ring binder? Is it a PowerPoint? Is it how's that delivered?
1: Largely, the way it's actually delivered is over email. We have a unit at Peace Corps Headquarters called OPATS, which is the Office of Programming and Training Support, and they're actually at headquarters developing a lot of this. As well, we have you know our regional breakdowns, and so we also have pe- support coming from the region. So a lot of the regular communication, I get a weekly email from my region updating me on things that are happening, what I need to be you know, looking at and working on. And then OPETS, uh, which is developing a lot of the technical resources, they send out probably a monthly email summary of new resources they've developed, things we should know. And then other initiatives that come out from headquarters are usually in the form of, of sort of a memo email with sort of information on what's, what's available, how we're expected to roll it out, how we're expected to use it and things like that. So a, a good example of this is also that Peace Corps is uh, getting on board with really, really strengthening our monitoring and evaluation or as Peace Corps is calling it, actually, MRE, so Monitoring, Reporting, and Evaluation. And we've gotten a lot of guidance from our region and from OPETS as to how to really improve the quality of data that we're getting from our volunteers in reporting the work that they do so we can really analyze how effective we're being, as well as just you know do some evaluation to, to feed back into
0: the program to make sure we're, we're accomplishing what we're trying to accomplish. Mm. Tell me about that MRE, and I'm going to... Only smile on this end of the phone. That that's also meals ready to eat. Exactly. Um, <laughs>
1: yeah, we've heard that from everyone. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but but so so th- let's just say you know they're helping to you know build this capacity, build this muscle for for each of the Peace Corps offices. I'm trying to dive down into. You just said, hey, I, I get an email from my region and from the headquarters about you know so that you can stay abreast of what's going on. Is there another system that they give you, or is essentially are you tracking your projects you know, on a spreadsheet? Are you, mm-hmm. are you using Word documents? Mm-hmm. You know, what are the, what's the actual tools, and are those tools standardized across Peace Corps, or are you building them for, for Peace Corps Georgia?
1: So historically, there has been a reporting system for Peace Corps volunteers, and that information funnels up from the, from the Peace Corps, from the community level, to Peace Corps staff in-country, and then up to Peace Corps headquarters, and ultimately on to Congress, right? So this data makes it all the way up. It's called the Volunteer Reporting Tool, and it's an online automated system that has actually just been revised and revamped so we've just last week delivered a training to all of our volunteers on how to use this new volunteer reporting tool mm-hmm. so we're rolling it out here teaching them how to use it making sure they understand how to how to accurately report what, what it is they're doing out there in their communities. But part of that, you know, and I, I think I mentioned, it's not just a reporting tool because you've also got to know that the data you're getting is good. So we've also been spending the last, I, I went to a conference, regional conference last May on MRE and how we're going to use it from, from here forward. And since that time, we've really been working as Peace Corps Georgia to develop a very thorough M&E system. So in addition to just the tool that's the mechanism by which volunteers report, we're also working on what are the, what are they reporting? So what are the actual indicators? How do we define those? How do volunteers understand them well enough to know that they're, they're reporting accurate data? And then we've also spent the past three months developing tools that will help them to gather, track and monitor all of that data and then mm-hmm. to put it into the volunteer reporting tool. So it's a bit of a complex system, but hopefully is going to lead to really more, much more accurate information coming up.
0: And is the VRT proprietary to Peace Corps, or is this a standardized U.S. government tool that is used in other agencies?
1: My understanding is it's proprietary to Peace Corps, that it's a software that they've been working on, probably with a contractor of some sort, to develop, and that it's been undergoing a a rework for the past two years or so. And so it's just been unveiled this December. just come out there was a previous version of it but it was on a different software platform i think that was harder for volunteers to use and this is sort of the issue is you know we have volunteers in remote islands and villages all around the world so connectivity is always an issue and so the previous system i think was much harder for them to sort of download this document upload this document whereas now everything is uh, accessible through the internet for our volunteers around the world. So all they've got to do is get to an Internet cafe or get to a library or be able to download this file onto their computer. Then they can fill it out offline and then get back online and, and upload it again.
0: I'd like to sort of move our conversation in a different direction for a little while. You go out, you said you go out to the field, you attend all of the volunteer trainings and mm-hmm. you know the, basically we'll call it capacity building for these volunteers. What are the techniques that are, are used, that the Peace Corps is using now to train your volunteers that you've found effective? What's what sort of how are you getting these skill sets to these volunteers in an effective way?
1: I think there's an interesting it's an interesting time to ask this question Peace Corps because we're in a sort of as I mentioned this rolling out of this focus and train up process where we know what it is we want our volunteers to be doing. We've revised our projects and the skills and the activities that we want them to have, and now we're designing the training to meet those needs. One process that we go through is called a training design and evaluation process, where we really break down what are the actual, not just the goals and objectives that we want volunteers to achieve, but the actual tasks on a day-to-day level that they'll be needing to accomplish. So let's say if they're going to, uh, let's say, improve healthy behaviors in their community, they need to know how to train someone, right? So they need training skills. So we actually look at what are the skills they need to have and then design training around that. So I think the TDE process in and of itself breaks down tasks and then it identifies what are the knowledge, skills, and behaviors that volunteers have to be able to have in order to accomplish those tasks. So I like that a lot of our training is designed from, you know, the goal backwards. And I think, you know, well, we're very lucky because we're doing local community-based training. So one of the, the sort of tried-and-true practices of Peace Corps is, is called community-based training, where we basically, instead of having volunteers all in a capital in a training center or in a, you know, a big building on their own, isolated from the community and learning these things, or back, I think, in the 60s when Peace Corps started, they did all the training stateside, right, before they even sent them out to the field. Now what we do is we bring our volunteers in country, and we immediately put them out into the community. So we have a cluster model where we select a number of villages that are relatively close to each other. We put the volunteers immediately into host families, so they're living in Georgian families. They're working in small cluster groups, which are around language level. So they're based in the communities with people who are also learning Georgian with them, and they come in each day for their training in the community. So every day they're interacting with the community, every day they're having a chance to practice their language, and every day they're sort of little by little acquiring these skills. So that's a model that Peace Corps uses in in many countries we work in, and in Georgia I find it just to be particularly effective in helping them with sort of some of the initial culture shock, you know, because they're together, but they're they're not isolated from the reality of what it is to live in Georgia.
0: Mm. Is there any... Particular training techniques or tools that you've used uh, either the last year and a half or over your career that you think are particularly effective in the actual training itself. I mean, w- when we hear the word training, flip chart and overhead projector and PowerPoint are the things that certainly come to mind. <laughs> what, what else have you used?
1: I mean, those are the those are the standard Peace Corps things, particularly the flip chart. I think one of my favorite things actually is how we use uh, volunteers as peer educators amongst. You know, within within the group So we have, you know, the brand newbies Coming in, for example And we'll take the group from the year before, and the year before that, who have actually been in their shoes, uh, who have gone through what they're going through, and have them either serve on a panel, or help co-facilitate a session, or just be there. We have a program called Megobari, which actually means friend in Georgian, which is sort of a mentorship program where we link you know, older volunteers to younger. So I really think that using peers to help train each other has been really effective, and, and we get a lot of positive feedback on that from
0: our volunteers. Does that talk to me about positive feedback? Is how is the Peace Corps Georgia programming or implementation or even care and feeding of its volunteers influenced by the feedback loop that you have?
1: I think Peace Corps Georgia does a particularly good job of this, (laughs) to be honest. We have a number of mechanisms to get feedback from volunteers, some more formalized and some much less formalized. We have what's called a volunteer advisory council or committee that's chaired by the country director. So every quarter she has a, a meeting with a group of volunteers who have been elected by their peers to represent The the volunteer community, and they come together and discuss various issues of concern to volunteers. So it may be that volunteers uh, have a concern over, oh gosh, who knows what, what issue it might be. Let's say host family. So a lot of volunteers might be struggling with issues in the host family. So they can bring an issue in and, and discuss it directly with staff. And we take feedback from them very seriously. And we, you know, we set sort of action plans for how we're going to respond to it. Or in some cases, they may bring in, they may be bringing an issue to staff that actually, if they had more information or if they knew why a certain policy existed or why Peace Corps had to do things one way, then oh, they might have more perspective. So it's also a way for us to educate them on how and why Peace Corps Georgia does things a certain way. So VAC is probably the more formalized mechanism that we have for getting feedback from volunteers, but it's much more on issues of concern. Other than that, we have a number of different sort of mechanisms we use, let's say, around training. So every year we have our large training for our incoming group, and we involve the group from the year before in sort of giving us feedback, analyzing the feedback that previous groups have given us, uh, let's say, this session particularly wasn't effective or this resource uh, needs to be expanded or broadened or you need to bring a Georgian perspective into it. So we take their feedback in a number of ways and we build that back into what we're doing. The same thing with the projects. So we have project advisory councils, and this one is actually more extensive because it doesn't just involve getting volunteer feedback but it's also from our stakeholders and partners in the country. So every year we have a one-day or two-day project advisory committee meeting, and that will maybe have representatives from the ministry, from USAID, from State Department, from other NGO partners, from the actual counterparts that volunteers are working with in their communities, uh, the organizations they're working with or the teachers they're working with, and then volunteers as well. And what we do is we look at the project, Right. So let's say, for example, the English Education Project, we'll look at what are the goals and objectives, what are our results from the previous year, and are we accomplishing them, and if so, why or why not? And we've used this body very effectively the last couple of years, as I mentioned, to redesign the projects. So we actually got from them, you know, what do you think volunteers could do well? What do you think they should be doing? What what shouldn't they be doing? <laughs> to really inform our strategy. So we get a lot of, we have a lot of mechanisms to get input.
0: How has that Changed or how is that different from when you were a Peace Corps volunteer oh gosh, way, was, way back when?
1: I not know. It was so long ago. I don't know if I remember.
0: <laughs> where, where did you volunteer? First of all,
1: uh, so I was a Peace Corps volunteer twice. Actually, I uh, I served for two years from 2000 to 2002 in the Russian Far East, hmm. uh, and I was a Tefl volunteer. I taught. I actually taught English and Spanish uh, at a university in Russia. Uh, and then I extended for a third year and s- helped go start up the Peace Corps program in East Timor for a year. Wow. Yeah. And there I was doing a combination of uh, local governance promotion and community development. Um, but we were also, as the first group there, we were sort of advising and helping Peace Corps actually set up the program and sort of determine the direction of the program. So it was a, it was a really ge- great experience. And honestly, in East Timor, I don't remember us having a volunteer advisory council, but I do in Russia. And, I, you know, I know that that body is, has been around for a long time, and it's sort of a best practice that there should be a mechanism mm-hmm. <laughs> to seek input from volunteers and, and to help have that dialogue between volunteers and staff. But other than that, I really do think Peace Corps has come a long way in terms of seeking input from volunteers. In a way that I don't think we did when I was a volunteer, there's another tool that Peace Corps uses called the Annual Volunteer Survey. And this is a global survey for volunteers around the world to give input on a number of things. Um, and, it's, and it's really it's a, volu- it's a survey of volunteer satisfaction with different parts of their Peace Corps experience. And we get that data once a year, and we really do use it to look at what could we do better, what could we strengthen. How can we better support them? All of those things. And I don't remember that when I was a volunteer.
0: Is there any other particular piece that, you know, when you sort of came to Peace Corps Georgia, you know, here 10 years later, essentially, from your uh-huh. volunteer service, you were like, wow, we didn't have that. I mean, is it is it as simple as iPads or, or is it something different than that?
1: It is so much. I mean, I think just the world of Peace Corps has changed so much, both just the volunteer experience. I mean, I was so much more isolated. Uh, We didn't rely on email. We didn't have the Internet, really, or access to it. We didn't have Skype. Uh, We didn't have cell phones. I mean, none of that. So it really was just a different experience in terms of how connected our volunteers are now versus how we were back then but then in terms of just how Peace Corps functions yeah we've got all of these great sort of tools and best practices and learning that has happened I mean I I definitely would say as a volunteer a lot of that might have been in place and I wasn't aware of it at the time not having the sort of behind the scenes view but for certain you know I served during Mm 9-11 and a lot of what came out of 9-11 and, and other things is really the agency's emphasis on security for volunteers. I mean, for us, you know, it's very important to know that our volunteers are protected and safe. And so we have very different sort of requirements to know that we we know where our volunteers are. We know what they're, that they're safe and that we can get access to them or evacuate them if need be, for example. And that it wasn't the case when I served.
0: That's interesting. Why Did you feel insecure when you were serving?
1: No, I wouldn't say it's that. But what I think is, at that time, Peace Corps was able to place volunteers in so much much more remote areas, isolated areas, without communication for long periods of time. Uh, whereas now, Peace Corps really needs to know that within, let's say, a certain period of time, we could get in touch with a volunteer if we needed to. And just before, I, I think there was sort of this, there was less of that uh, feeling that we I don't think I felt insecure in any way, but I also felt like I was sort of out there on my own, and nobody was necessarily aware of what I was doing (laughs) sometimes.
0: (laughs) Probably a good thing in some cases. Ultimately, you work for a U.S. government organization. You have a direct link to the embassy or, you know, an office in the embassy. How much does that affect your work being a line item in the U.S. government budget? Do you feel like they, there's influence on strategy and direction or do you feel like you're, Peace Corps is able to operate fairly independently?
1: Peace Corps does operate independently. I should say I don't have an office in the embassy and Peace Corps is not located within the embassy compound here in Georgia uh, or I, I don't think actually anywhere uh, as far as I know around the world. But um, there is traditionally a separation. Peace Corps is an independent agency. Certainly we are part of the U.S. government and will always be seen uh, in that way. But I think there is some independence, which allows us to be very strategy-focused. It's hard for me to really say from an organizational point of view because I've never worked at headquarters. I don't really have that perspective. But coming from the NGO world, uh, one thing I've noticed and and feel is quite different about Peace Corps is that we are having very very intentional conversations about strategy and where we're going and why we do things a certain way. And so my perspective Perspective has been that actually we're much more strategic and able to sort of determine our direction than, let's say, in an NGO that's always looking for funding for this or that, that's determined by someone else's priorities.
0: Hmm. Unpack, <coughs> unpack that a little bit for me. That's, I sure. think that's really interesting. So you, you were you were going down that path right there. You think the larger NGOs that you've worked for, or the smaller NGOs, I guess, not to qualify hmm. that, they, they were less strategic simply because they were funding dependent?
1: And I wouldn't say it's a question of the specific organizations I worked for. I would say the NGO, international NGO sector generally has become more and more dependent on donor funding, and in the last few years, donor funding has been less reliable, we'll put it that way. So they've had to be, uh, my perspective has been that they've been less strategic about their mission and being more mission-driven versus, you know, well, what what funding is out there for us to to go after so that, you know, they were much more reliant on what was available in the funding market than having decisions strictly driven by what they wanted to do as an organization.
0: Hmm. Were you ever in a situation where you, you know, that you found that to be frustrating as either a, you know, on the ground worker or as a manager in an NGO where you're, you're like, no, we should be doing this over here, but you're asking me to do this.
1: I mean, I think not as much frustrated by what I didn't think we should be doing because it was all good work. You know, I think everything that the organizations I I have been working for uh, were doing was good work and it was needed and it was necessary, you know, and important work. But it wasn't a decision that we want to go in X direction and in five years we'll get there in this way. It felt, you know, a little more adrift.
0: Mm. How did you get into this work?
1: So after college, uh, I studied, you know, intercultural uh, relations, and um, after college, I knew I wanted to join the Peace Corps. Just be less because I think I knew anything about the development or humanitarian world. I didn't even know this field existed, Uh, you know, when I was in college. um, I went to a pretty small undergrad college. But I knew I wanted to travel the world. I knew I wanted to experience a different culture, and I knew I wanted to do something to give back. But Mm -hmm. I did not think this was a step in a career path. I just thought it was more of an adventure, (laughs) I think, at the time. And so right after college, I ended up teaching for a year in the States, then went abroad to Russia with Peace Corps, um, where I taught at a university, and I still really didn't feel or think that I was... Doing development work I didn't really I don't think I knew What that term Necessarily meant But then when I Extended and went To East Timor I got there At a really Interesting time When I got on the ground In East Timor As a Peace Corps volunteer They had only been An independent country For six weeks So it was a brand new country The poorest country In Asia and just an immense amount of need on the ground, and the UN was there, uh, UN peacekeepers were there, there were a ton of international NGOs and World Bank, and everyone was on the ground doing different kinds of work. And this was just my, my completely my first exposure to any of that, and it was just inspiring. You know, I sort of thought, wow, okay, you know, I've known that poverty exists, but I didn't know there were all these people out there working to try to do something about it, and it just seemed like a natural fit. You know, it was like, oh, all of these interests that I've had my whole life in terms of travel and learning languages and helping people. And they all sort of came together
0: at that time. Hmm. It's been a, a fairly stable career path for you. You've been able to, quote unquote, work your way up the ladder, so to speak. Or has it been sort of this looks interesting. I'll go do that for a while. And this looks interesting. I'll go do that for a while.
1: I Yeah, I think I've been pretty lucky to work myself up, uh, I mean, to sort of progressively take on new levels of responsibility as I as I moved up, and also to be learning the whole time, um, which is one great thing about this field. I think, though, most of my decisions in terms of career have been in order to try something different or in order to try something new. So, I mean, I started out sort of on the program management side, then I went to the program development and design side, then I went back to graduate school, and then I... <laughs> sort of came back out and was again doing management and now what i do is a combination of all of that you know uh, there's a project management component there's a monitoring component there's a design component and then there's training and i mean it's just got so many different elements that i think all those little steps that i took along the way have all sort of built up perfectly to fit
0: into this position Mm. do you have a sense that the volunteers you work with in georgia Um, I guess you've probably gone through a couple of different classes at this stage, even in a year and a half. How many of those people will be interested in development work after they finish their time?
1: I I do have a pretty good sense, and it it surprises me because, like I said, when I was a volunteer, particularly in Russia, I don't think a lot of us ever thought or knew about about this path from that experience because we were all there teaching English and have gone on to so many other things from education to business to whatever, but it didn't really lead to that path of development. So I think it was surprising and enlightening to me Last year, when I had my first group of volunteers here in Georgia, close of of service is what we call it, so they finished their two years, and I uh, had a a lot of them come to me and say, oh, my goodness, what you've done is so interesting. I want to learn more about that, and that's the direction I want to take. So, you know, I think if not in international development or international humanitarian work, most of them want to have a, a role in the nonprofit world. So even in domestic work back in the United States or something. So it's I'd, I'd say the majority of, of the volunteers that I talk to on a regular basis are wanting to learn more about it or wanting to go in that direction. And actually, right now I'm planning in about a month and a half we're going to do what we call a close of service conference. It's the final training uh, to any volunteer's career, and it's a, it's just a two day training, but it's really help. It's meant to help them prepare for what's next and introducing to them to different strategies and ideas for whether it be if they want to go to grad school, if they want to go into this field or any other field, or if they want to sort of pursue other opportunities or so whatever that is, it helps them sort of bring closure to their two years, but also to help go down that path. So, I mean, even interviewing skills and preparing your CV and all of those things. So I'm looking forward to doing all that with them. That's that's
0: a really fun conference that we do. Indeed. How important was it to your current position that you had served in Peace Corps before?
1: That's a question I've asked before, <laughs> and, and I'm not really sure the answer. I mean, definitely not everyone that works for Peace Corps served in the Peace Corps, particularly at headquarters when there are you know, certain special roles, that special specializations, I guess, or special roles that you wouldn't have had to be in the field to be a volunteer, but I know also out in the field, you know, we typically have a couple of American positions out in the field, um, a country director, obviously my position, director of programming and training, and then the director of management and operations, which is much more on the finance and admin management side of things. And I think with any of those positions, I think it's always beneficial to have been a volunteer to have been in their shoes but it's definitely not necessary. I know a lot of competent, really strong field staff who never actually served but who, you know, believe in the mission just as much as everyone else and have the
0: skills to to really add to the team. Last question then. What, you know, you're about to do this end of service training. You are connected with a large network of people and I'm sure that you're a resource for for others as well. What's your Piece of advice, you know, to to others who are interested either in being international development or interested in this in as, a, as a career, to how to be successful. Like, what what do you say? You know, do these one or two things.
1: I think because I do. I mean, I'm, I'm having these conversations with my volunteers now, and particularly as you know, we have a whole range of age. Of volunteers in our group but particularly for the younger ones who are just starting out in their career i really enjoy talking to them because i can say to them you know hey i i i know where you are now and i know where you want to go and these are the lessons i've learned and what i really try to stress to them is while you're young and while you're just figuring this out don't think that you have to plan a path now <laughs> Because the, in this field, no one's in a position for more than a few years, right? It's very project-focused, and and there's a lot of hopping around, and there's a lot of movement and um, an opportunity for growth. So don't think that if you choose something now, you're stuck on one path. And as much as possible, try to do different things to see what really suits you. So make a deliberate choice to do something here for two years and then go there for two years and... And build a really broad range of experience because, you know, I think I mentioned before, I really think what makes me effective in my role is the fact that I have been in many different roles uh, within the development world and done a lot of different things, which, you know, ultimately when you get to more senior management positions, you need to be competent in a range of areas. You know, you need to be able to manage your budget and your staff and your people as much as you need to understand the technical parts of your program so I mean my big piece of advice is just try to build a range of skills and and get as much varied experience as you can and language <laughs> I think you in this field you just need you've, you've got to focus on on having having language skills any particular language in well, I mean, it depends where you want to go and what you want to be doing. I think, you know, the more the better, obviously. In Georgia, for example, Georgian language is quite difficult to learn. And I haven't found that I need it, but that's because I came in with Russian. And it's been, I think it is one of the reasons that I got this job. You know, they, someone with a regional language. But it's also just made my day-to-day interactions here a lot easier. You know, I have Spanish, so I feel like that gives me an advantage if I ever want to work in Latin America. Sure. So, so obviously the, the common ones, Spanish, French, Russian, Arabic, are pretty you know, pretty marketable because if you're competing with other people who have language skills and you don't, naturally, I think people, having been a hiring manager on a number of, of proposals in the past, uh, we always prefer people who have the local language. So it's just something to work on.
0: Sue, thanks so much for your time this evening.
1: Absolutely, Stephen. Thank you for, for the call.
0: You've been listening to Terms of Reference, a weekly podcast from aidpreneur.com. Find us on iTunes or at www.aidpreneur.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.